0: With evening dress, he wore a tan overcoat so short that his black coattails hung visible, five inches below the overcoat. But after a season or two, he lengthened his overcoat till it touched his heels, and he passed out of his tight trousers into trousers like great bags. Then, presently, he was seen no more, though the word that had been coined for him remained in the vocabularies of the impertinent. It was a hairier day than this. Beards were to the wearer's fancy, and things as strange as the Kaiserliche boar-tusk mustache were commonplace. Sideburns found nourishment upon childlike profiles. Great, dundreary whiskers blew like tippets over young shoulders. Mustaches were trained as lambricans over forgotten mouths. And it was possible for a senator of the United States to wear a mist of white whisker upon his throat only, not a newspaper in the land finding the ornament distinguished enough to warrant a lampoon. Surely no more is needed to prove that so short a time ago we were living in another age. At the beginning of the Ambersons' great period, most of the houses of the Midland town were of a pleasant architecture. They lacked style, but also lacked pretentiousness, and whatever does not pretend at all has style enough. They stood in commodious yards, well shaded by leftover forest trees, elm and walnut and beech, with here and there a line of tall sycamores where the land had been made by filling bayous from the creek. The house of a prominent resident facing military square on National Avenue or Tennessee Street was built of brick upon a stone foundation, or of wood upon a brick foundation. Usually it had a front porch and a back porch, often a side porch, too. There was a front hall, there was a side hall, and sometimes a back hall. From the front hall opened three rooms, the parlor, the sitting room, and the library. And the library could show warrant to its title— For some reason, these people bought books. Commonly, the family sat more in the library than in the sitting room, while callers, when they came formerly, were kept to the parlor, a place of formidable polish and discomfort. The upholstery of the library furniture was a little shabby, but the hostile chairs and sofa of the parlor always looked new. For all the wear and tear they got, they should have lasted a thousand years. Upstairs were the bedrooms mother and father's room, the largest, the smaller room for one or two sons, another for one or two daughters. Each of these rooms containing a double bed, a washstand, a bureau, a wardrobe, a little table, a rocking chair, and often a chair or two that had been slightly damaged downstairs, but not enough to justify either the expense of repair or decisive abandonment in the attic. And there was always a spare room for visitors, where the sewing machine usually was kept. And during the seventies, there developed an appreciation of the necessity for a bathroom. Therefore, the architects placed bathrooms in the new houses, and the older houses tore out a cupboard or two, set up a boiler beside the kitchen stove, and sought a new godliness, each with its own bathroom. The great American plumber joke, that many-branched evergreen, was planted at this time. At the rear of the house, upstairs, was a bleak little chamber called the girls' room, and in the stable there was another bedroom adjoining the hayloft and called the Hired Man's Room. House and stable cost seven or eight thousand dollars to build, and people with that much money to invest in such comforts were classified as the rich. They paid the inhabitant of the girls' room two dollars a week, and in the latter part of this period, two dollars and a half, and finally three dollars a week. She was Irish, ordinarily, or German— or it might be Scandinavian, but never native to the land unless she happened to be a person of color. The man or youth who lived in the stable had like wages, and sometimes he too was lately a steerage voyager, but much oftener he was colored. After sunrise, on pleasant mornings, the alleys behind the stables were gay. Laughter and shouting went up and down their dusty lengths, with a lively accompaniment of curry combs knocking against back fences and stable walls, for the darkies love to curry their horses in the alley. Darkies always prefer to gossip in shouts instead of whispers, and they feel that profanity, unless it be vociferous, is almost worthless. Horrible phrases were caught by early rising children and carried to other people for definition, sometimes at inappropriate moments while less investigative children would often merely repeat the phrases in some subsequent flurry of agitation, and yet bring about consequences so inf-